Welcome to Managing Marketing, and this week I'm joined by Denise Ravel, founder of Mediascope, and someone that uh, I've known in the industry for quite a few years. So welcome, Denise. Thank you very much for having me, Darren. It's good to be here. So it was interesting. Um, we've done a few projects together, but the one that uh, I think is particularly salient is for a couple of years we went to the market and asked, what is the state of the Australian media? We did. And we got... Well, from my perspective, probably an underwhelming response from the point of view that it seemed to be the same problems every year, but no one had any solutions. What did you feel? I don't think there was any surprises, perhaps, in, our, in the findings of the two or three surveys that we did. And I think, first of all, the way that it came about was, you know, you and I met, we were kind of introduced, and we spoke about, you know, the ongoing discussions that I was having in market about the frustrations in the media trading process. Mm. So my conversations were predominantly with uh, media agency people, but also a lot of publishers and a lot of publishers who were just so frustrated at the, the way that they were being treated uh, by media agencies. They couldn't get in. They felt like the opportunities that they were presenting uh, weren't getting through to the client. They felt like no matter what they did, the agencies were just going to go with the normal cookie cutter approach mm -hmm. um, and so on. So ongoing conversations about this frustration. So when you and I spoke about that, we thought, let's do a survey. Let's really find out what's going on. I know, because at the same time, we had the media agencies all complaining about how do we attract talent? How do we keep talent? You know, it, it seemed like the trade and the conversation was all about the same thing over and over again. And yet, yet no one seemed to be proactively trying to stimulate or curate the conversation around how to move forward. Um, I agree. And I think, you know, one of the things I've tried to do with Mediascope over the years has really been to take tangible action instead of just continuing the talk fest. I know. Um, so, yes, every six months there seems to be complete outrage about certain topics within our industry. So it could be women. It could be the trading process, the media trading process. It could be a myriad of other things. So what I've really tried to do is to say I want to take tangible action on certain topics that keep to come, that keep coming up. Mm. And from my point of view too, I want to know the reasons why I'm frustrated. So this survey was a really great idea, great sort of opportunity to delve into what are the reasons why I'm hearing this all the time, mm. uh, and to find out a lot more. Because, uh, yeah, I'm a big believer in the golden rule, mm. and that is the man with the gold makes the rules. Yes, I and know yet, that saying from you. And, um, you know, it just frustrates the hell out of me that, first of all, the advertisers themselves, because they're the ones ultimately with the gold. Yes. And even their uh, associations and organisations seem to be completely paralysed in doing anything proactive in this area. I mean, we've, we've got the uh, K2 report from the ANA in the US, and we've got uh, ISBAR in the UK have bought out you know, a new pro forma contract for media mm -hmm. agencies. Mm -hmm. And yet here we seem to have people sitting around on their hands you know, doing the same thing that we saw for two or three years, which is, yes, we know there's a problem, but what are we going to do about it? We're not sure. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just boring. 
one of the articles that I have on media, and I don't know if I call it an article, it's more a curation of articles. One of the things that I've done on Mediascope has been a timeline of articles and our survey is, of course, included in that a timeline. And the title of the timeline is Media Trading, Are We at the Tipping Point Yet? Mm. Um, and as you know, the first article that I really picked up talking about this was probably in 2012. Mm. So there's, and I think Simon Rutherford and uh, you were very sort of early on the front foot about talking about these issues. We all know. <laughs> well, that's when we first found out about value banks. Yes. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. I mean, having a conversation with a media agency CEO and he let slip with, oh, well, we use our value bank. Oh, what's the value bank? You know, we, we'd had a suspicion that something like this was going on, mm. but no one wanted to talk about it. They'd talk about it in their little groups, mm. but no one was willing to bring it to the surface and say, you know, this is what's happening. And I actually had a, uh, a LinkedIn let's say, heated discussion mm. with a very high-profile marketer around mm. that time because mm. I'd written an article that said this has actually been caused by marketers and procurement constantly putting downward pressure, not just on media price, but also on the agency fees. Yes. And if you push both down, yes. you'll end up getting some sort of reaction to that, exactly. which is to find another source of revenue. That's exactly and, right. Which is what's happened. And now they're all going, oh, shock, horror, but, you know, we won't do anything about it. And that... Uh the scenario that you just described also is, you know, kind of the consequence of a lot of the findings that we found through that survey. Mm. So from, you know, younger, inexperienced people within media agencies, huge media agency churn. Um, at the moment, I think it's on 30 to 40%. Yeah. It is definitely, you know, the skill shortages issue is absolutely the keep, the keep me up at night issue uh, within media agencies or one of, you know, one of many probably. Um but a lot of the, you know, the consequences were the very started with the, you know, the scenario that you just mm. just spoke about. There's no doubt about it. Now, look, yeah, and and we could probably rehash exactly what we went through all over again. But actually, for me, uh, my whole experience of working with you, Denise, and MediaScope goes even way before that. When suddenly, I remember the first time we met, you were explaining to me what Mediascope is and does, and you had this amazing, and still have, an amazing directory of media owners and media channel opportunities. I mean, everything from, you know, balloons to songwriting yeah. <laughs> to, to lavatory, you know, uh, lavatory or convenience advertising and all sorts, everything in between. Mm. Um, and I remember at the time you said, it's really frustrating that media agencies still only think of the sort of high-profile media. Mm. Very little mm. of this great long tail mm. gets any consideration. Do you want to uh, explain what and that means? You're right. Mediascope, I suppose, was really born originally, gosh, in 2007 now, um, out of that seed of an idea of, I think my first tagline was reach beyond mainstream. Mm. And it was really born out of that idea that, yes, we have our major, our ma major media, but there's so much more beyond, beyond that major media that could really bring a lot of depth and richness to a media brand, or, or sorry, a media plan. 
so first of all, I started, and you know, the long tail was certainly a phrase that was being, you know, often spoken about about back then digital with digital. Yeah. So you know, you had your four or five major properties, but then this huge long tail of properties. And I suppose partly because I was so involved with the Central Baby, which was a, you know, a real sort of great example of a long tail, mm. um, a long tail um, website back in back in the early noughties, I suppose. Um, so Mediascope started off as a directory and our focus was on those reach beyond mainstream opportunities mm. and it wasn't just digital, um, it was also, you know, as you said, the balloon advertising, the aerial advertising. The I mean, it was everything. I remember I wrote a post, or exactly. we jointly we we wrote a post, um, where we picked, uh, I think, uh, 10 or 20 exactly. media opportunities that your media agency would probably never present to you. Not because they weren't valid, they just are too seem to be too lazy yes. to actually be bothered to think beyond, ah, oh, well, television, and then press, radio, or outdoor to support it, and that was pretty much it. And I think I sort of realised that even though a lot of the media agencies gave me an enormous amount of, you know, positive reinforcement that this product was really needed, um, you know, as part of their planning tools to really help them to uncover a lot of opportunities that perhaps weren't apparent. Mm -hmm. um, and as you said, from the balloons to the car wraps to the, um, I don't know, to the sandwich bags to, I mean, I remember there was an ice bag advertisement mm. or, you know, advertising on ice bags. Um, there was what? all sorts of really quirky, ambient opportunities that are still in that directory, even though I, I will admit the directory is very out of, out of um, date now. Mm. But um, uh, Greg Graham, Sparrow, yes. up at uh, Group M, when I worked with him back in JWT days, his big uh, stunt was to pull out milk cartons mm. as part of the pitch and go, you can even have your ad here on the milk carton so that when people are having their breakfast cereal in the morning, your brand is there on the breakfast table. So, you know, I mean, it was used as a stunt, but there was so much rich opportunity across all these media channels that people don't even bother thinking about. Look, I think that there still is those rich opportunities there. And my understanding is that still a lot of marketers will dedicate some of their media and their marketing spend to those really outside the square opportunities that perhaps don't give a very apparent return on investment, but, you know, will delight mm. um, and find something, you know, really out of the square and really quirky and ambient. Um, often, you know, the most surprising results can be found by something that perhaps isn't, you know, in a, in a normal plan. So they're still certainly there. They're on the mediascapes now. No doubt we'll talk about the mediascapes in a moment. Um, but yeah, it was a really hard sell back in those early days with mediascope. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. But I just, you know what, I turned up every day. I kept trying out of the 50 things that I've thrown at the market. The market, um, you know, now happily takes four or five really mm. good things. Well, but I keep what, trying new you things. You know what they the say, Denise, uh, you know, turning up is 80% of success. So, you know, well done. Thank you. Because <laughs> you have evolved. I mean, what did you say? 2007. So almost a decade. Gosh. Uh, on. So 2016. I've been in the industry for, since I was 18. So I'm 51 yeah, well, so, now. So about 10 years, right. So. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. But no, always, well, I worked at Club Med for a while. That's a story I don't talk about. Um, but always been in this industry and you know when I had kids in in 2000 to me it was either underemployment unemployment or do my own thing so that really started me on this journey of doing your own thing doing and doing and, and you know as I said doing it well because today you've evolved media scope 
into quite a rich source of information around technology. Now, technology is affecting all aspects of the industry, mm. but what I, um, I'm really enjoying is watching the conversations, not just around mediascapes, which is your mm. maps of the different mm. vendors in each of the areas, but also the conversations that are occurring with that as well. I mean, it, you are really um, becoming a repository of knowledge mm. around the evolution that's happening, the technology revolution that's happening in media. Well, the mediascapes, I think, has certainly helped position... Well, first of all, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm so humbled and proud that the market seems to value, you know, the work that I produce really from my little home office in Chatswood. Mm. So that's, you know, such a great feeling. Um, and the Mediascapes were really born, I think, in, in sort of mid-2010 when I first saw the Lumascape. And, I th and the Lumascape was, you know, quite a, a sparse kind of landscape back then. But I thought, oh, I'll do one for the Australian market. And really, you know, my great kept secret is that the Mediascapes are really just a visual reflection of the Mediascope's original directory. Mm. Um, for some reason, the directory, which had, you know, all this rich information, um, didn't fly as well. But certainly the Mediascapes just really took off quite quickly. Yep. So the digital Mediascape started in 2010, I now have this great year-on-year -year comparison of that digital mediascape, which actually got highlighted in an article by Tim Whitfield from Group M um, today in an article. And it just shows this really interesting evolution um, of the market. I often say I clearly had no idea what I was getting myself back into <laughs> in 2010 because, of course, it's such a complex fast-moving landscape now mm. but then really thought you know yes the digital ones there but then thought well hang on a minute every land every channel in the Australian market is moving very quickly and, and deserves some level of definition mm -hmm. uh, and navigation so there's now 25 mediascapes mapping every channel in the Australian media market media agencies um, also creative agencies is also there and I'm constantly on the lookout mm. um, for new um, the new channels and new landscapes that require some level of navigation. And I suppose being independent, I work on my own, I have great relationships with everyone, but my first priority is industry first. Mm -hmm. um, and my mindset is very much set that way. Um, I'm very independent and I just think what would be of use to the market. Yeah. So being independent, I'm not aligned to anyone, I don't bias anyone in the market and I really work hard to, and you know, very consciously to do that. But it is such a, a valuable resource because, you know, one of the issues that we talk about a lot is where can marketers today get uh, information and advice on the technology options available to them? Because, you know, the trade media is almost invariably either focused on the new shiny object, yep. everyone's writing about virtual reality yes. and, and uh, artificial intelligence, or they're basically running a press release. The salespeople are doing a great job at selling their product mm. in the best possible light. Mm. The agencies themselves are often acting as sales representatives or vendors mm. for particular um, technology solutions. Mm. So it becomes incredibly difficult for where does a marketer at least get an understanding of mm. the lay of the land from mm. a very independent um, source mm. that's not trying to mm. sell them a particular solution. So I think that's where... Um, uh, mediascopes, uh, you know, fulfilling such a great uh, a need. 
Um, thank you. Um, and look, I don't begrudge any of the trade media or any, you know, one else for doing their job and, you know, what they have to do to earn their... Make a buck. To make a buck, earn their living, you know, pay their staff. You know, we've all got, you know, mortgages and all of that sort of thing to do. And, you know, everyone's got their own business model and the way that they do things. For me, I found my niche by offering that independent kind of holistic um, information. Um, and I often curate, you know, relevant articles to Mediascope's audience from trade media, um, mm. from you and from other places. And again, very focused on audience first mm -hmm. uh, and what would be relevant to Mediascope's audience. So I get my content and my information from all of those sources. Spoken like a true content marketer. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. And a true diplomat too, probably. Um, <laughs> um, but, you know, I've been in the industry for a long time. I'm not here to make any enemies. Everyone has their own way of doing things. Yep. Um, we're all here to, you know, make some kind of difference in our own way and at the end of the day earn a living, feeding our families, doing all of that sort of thing. So... Well, you, you raised, you know, you just mentioned family again, and earlier you were talking about in uh, 2000 when you were having a family, what mm. the options were available under it, what was it, underemployed, unemployed, or doing, do something, my own thing. doing your own thing. So, yeah, that's one of the other things that um, I really uh, value and, and uh, acknowledge that you do is championing women in, in, in the industry. Um, because I think, uh, you know, I know I've been to many industry conferences apart from the last Mumbrella 360, which was overseas, but mm. um, where they actually actively went out and balanced they all did. of the speakers to be you know, gender balanced. They did. But uh, most uh, events that you go to, pretty much the panel is uh, what I'd call male, pale and stale. Yes. You know, it's the same white, uh, pudgy, sort of white uh, male experts talking about their perspective on the industry. What's, uh, what do you think is the biggest challenge for women and how can we overcome it? Gosh, I mean, that's a big thing. Um, look, for me, one of the biggest challenges that I see for women in the industry, one of the things that I often talk about is we don't have a competency issue, we have a confidence issue. Mm -hmm. So I do think that that's something that women could be better at. Um, but yes, I suppose, you know, one of the great things I've been able to do running my own business through Mediascope is I have been able to follow my passion projects. So one of the things has been the Mediascapes, obviously, which is a very independent view of all media in the Australian market. Um, the other thing is obviously women in, in media. Um, and, you know, being in the situation that I have been since I started my family in 2000, which was, you know, there wasn't really an opportunity for me to progress my career in a flexible way in the core industry. Mm -hmm. um, so I've, you know, kind of made my own way, which has been incredibly challenging. It's shown, you know, I, I think of, you know, the number of days that I've just wanted to pull the covers up and not get up, but I got up every day. It's good to have um, a doona day every so often. Yeah. I agree. I like a doona day every now and then, but, you know... Um, keep turning I, up. I have to keep turning up. That's my thing. Um, but Women in Media is something that I started a while ago where I started a series of Q&As um, where I would, you know, basically ask questions for key women in the media market. Um, that really progressed onto quite a large LinkedIn group that's still going on called We Are Women in Media and Advertising. Uh, that now has about 810 women in it, very focused to women in our um, Australian sort of sector. New women joining every day, so it's kind of got over that, um, you know, it's got that momentum building now. But every time I would put a 
a p- article up in that LinkedIn group that spoke about the lack of women speaking at events, the enormous reaction that the women in that group would give was, you know, quite overwhelming. Mm. So I thought there has to be a solution there. So again, coming back to my, you know, thing about let's just not talk about this anymore. Let's actually put something tangible in place. Um, you know, as you do, middle of the night, Peggy's List. Yeah, so, I love it. When I first saw you talk about Peggy's List, I thought, because yeah, one of the things when you talk to event organisers, they go, oh, it just seems to be easier to find men to talk on subjects than it is women. But there's so many qualified women who are great presenters, great storytellers, uh, and yet they just get overlooked all the time. But Peggy's List is such a rich source of, uh, you know, uh, women speakers. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And, you know, I think as, as marketers, you know, we all know when you launch something, um, you know, you launch it to market, you have to push it and push it and pivot with it and make different decisions with it. And, you know, you paddle along and you just keep going and pushing and pushing. Peggy's List is one of those things that literally the day I put it to market, it just took off. Yeah. Um, and I was like, whoa. I mean, it was almost to the point of, you know, okay, now I need to work out what to do with this mm-hmm. because I, I really wasn't expecting it. Like everything else I've done with Mediascope, I've just worked at it and worked at it and worked at it until it's, you know, the market's more or less told me what to do with it. Um, Peggy's List just took off straight away. And Peggy's List, obviously, for those that uh, don't realise, is around Peggy Olsen, wasn't it, from uh, Mad Men? Yes, um, I did. And actually, I remember asking Anton at, the st- at one stage who works with you, you know, do you think that they might get angry at me for using their name. Um, and I just thought, well, they'll never know. Mm. <laughs> It'll be just this little thing in the Australian market. Um, but it does have does seem to have taken off. And yes, Peggy is the, Peggy's, is the inspiration from Mad Men. Um, and it highlights women who are available to speak at our industry events, comment on articles, be parts of panels and so on. And at the moment, it has just under 200 women on it. Originally, of course, it started with predominantly media women because that's mm-hmm. where my contact base is really focused. But slowly but surely, I've had I've moved beyond that media s- uh, sector into creative, account service, mm. journalists are there now. Um, I don't have a problem growing the list. The interesting thing I found with Peggy's list is while I don't get asked an enormous amount by event organisers to actually get a copy of the list, it does seem to have gone some way to change the mindset Mm. of a conference organiser. They know that this is existing. They know that it's there. Um, Mumbrella, I think, was a great example of, you know, them being very on the front foot this year of saying we're working actively for diversity. Mm. Now, and also you've set up a second list, haven't you? Don's list has also been set up really in recognition that, you know, we can't do this without the blokes. Um, and probably also in the in the or same at least giving men the chance to support the initiative That's by exactly saying because right. I signed up to Don's list, which is I won't speak in an event that is male skewed. That's exactly right. So it's it's a very similar concept, I think, to the panel pledge. Yeah. Um, but you know, just gave the blokes in our industry an opportunity to support the initiative. Um, it hasn't, you know, it hasn't kind of taken off as well. It hasn't got the numbers that Peggy's List does. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps I just need to push it a little bit more to, to the men in our industry. But there certainly is that recognition there that, look, this is, you know, this is something that we can easily mm-hmm. achieve. I have to say, though, I've now come to the feeling through speaking to lots of event organisers that it is a two-way issue. Women also need to be better at putting their hands up, at not saying no when they're approached. 
Um, and again, to me, that's, you know, there's a multitude of reasons that perhaps it is difficult to get women involved at mm. times. I think, again, the confidence issue over competence. I think women that's are busy. A, yeah, that's a big issue um, because even in our own organisation, we've got a reasonably balanced consulting base. Yeah. And I... I get more from the women than the men about contributing articles to our blog, yes. our successful blog. Yeah. Often there's a feeling that the women have, which is, you know, they basically come from a position of, well, I'm not sure I have anything that people want to read. Yes. And I go, well, all of us feel that way. Absolutely. But, you know, just commit it to, uh, to words yeah. and let's see how it goes. Because it really is no reflection whatsoever. You know, I've written a lot of articles that no one are interested in mm. and then other articles that keep getting thousands of readers mm. every month. Mm. It's a, It has says nothing about me and everything about the content. Mm. So, you know, it's, I think there is that need. To, and so it's about, in, but it's also about encouraging people to find their voice. Oh, absolutely. Form of you. Yeah. Just, you know, even if you and you know, support it, you know, because when you first start expressing your own opinion, yes, what you really want is an environment of encouragement mm. and 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 yeah you know, and and uh, constructive feedback, mm. rather than what you'll often find in the industry is just this anonymous criticism, uh, which is incredibly destructive if someone as, you know, feeling uh, vulnerable in the in first, first place. place. I yeah. couldn't agree more. I mean, first of all, you know, I'm very conscious that, you know, you put your head a little above the parapet yeah. and, yes, you're inviting it to get shot down. So I think we all have to be a little bit conscious of that when you form a view. Um, but After 16 of, years, I don't care. No, you don't <laughs> care. And I'm a lot more sensitive than you, so I certainly care. Um but, you know, have got better at that as, I, as I've got older, which is, you know, another thing I think comes with a bit of age is a bit more confidence. A bit more um, wisdom. A bit more wisdom, a bit more confidence, a bit more, well, I don't care anyway. Mm. So, um, but certainly, yes, encourage women to form a view, be brave enough to put that view out. But, yes, I still speak to, you know, supposedly very senior women now mm. who feel like they've got nothing to say. I mean, I'm just gobsmacked by crazy. that attitude. But having yeah. said that, I can also completely relate to it because yeah. I still have that on a daily basis myself. But, but here's the point, is that they have their own unique perspective. Even if, you know, let's pick something like programmatic buying, yep. Yep. okay? There's been millions of words written by programmatic mm. buying about programmatic buying. But, I mean, every person brings their own unique perspective to it. Yep. So, you know... This is the great thing about the internet mm. is that there is so many opportunities to contribute to that conversation, even if you're reinforcing what someone else has said but saying it in your own way because when you find your voice, you'll also find an audience because you'll attract the people that find either what you're saying or the way you're saying it yep. incredibly desirable. Oh. And that's the point. You don't have to be the best-selling author. You just need to find your voice and find the audience that appreciates it. I couldn't agree more. Um, look, there's a lot of content out there. I mean, it takes, you know, we could sit and read content all day, mm. um, whether it be within our trade media or, you know, people like you and I producing content. I mean, yeah. we're not short of content, but you're right. It's having a view, putting it out there. And what I really like to see too is, you know, your view, a view is an evolving thing. Mm. Your view doesn't start with your first point of view or your first time that you have an opportunity to do that. Mm. Take, you know, take a lot of notice of the feedback that you get. 
because that helps you evolve your view as well. Um, and you, but, you know, choose something that, first of all, I think any view has to be based on something that you care about. Yeah, you've got to be passionate. You've got to be passionate about it. So find something that you care about. Start talking about yep. it. Get a point of view out there. Be prepared to defend it, but also be prepared to acknowledge people who come at, come at you with perhaps a different view. Um, now, I just noticed the time, Denise, yes. but there's one question I really wanted to ask you, and that is, uh, you know, there's a lot of challenges facing the industry, yep. and we've talked about some of them around yep. media, yep. around technology, and also gender. Mm. But what do you think is the greatest challenge at the at this moment in Australia facing me, the media and marketing industry? Um, look, I think it's a major challenge facing you know beyond our sector, um, and of course it's a topic that I've been very vocal about probably since about March, and that's the NBN. So the National Broadband Network. And that really, I think, impacts our industry quite profoundly and quite enormously. I think it impacts the broader Australian community uh, profoundly and enormously. And it's a topic that I've been very vocal about, starting with an open letter mm -hmm. uh, that I presented to the market through LinkedIn in June um, and really came across this topic in a really curious way. Um, I've become a bit of a, I've had a political awakening in the last sort of six to 12 months, which, um, you know, is a frightening thing, but recommend that everyone sort of, you know, really increase their awareness of what's going on in politics beyond mainstream media and beyond the ABC. Um, and I was on the Ozpol hashtag on Twitter one day, which I'm also quite active on these days, and literally saw the, um, the ex, now ex-ABC tech journal tweet on the day he was made redundant, he tweeted something along the lines of, now I can talk honestly about the NBN. Yeah. And that really just took me down this rabbit hole um, of finding out what was going on with the NBN. Of course, I was looking at it through the lens of, of our industry and the impact of our industry and really realised um, that Australia currently being placed six, 60th in terms of broadband, broadband speed and connectivity will have enormous effects on our industry mm. from a marketing media advertising point of view as we increasingly become part of a global global industry and a global community. Well, it's actually our now Prime Minister which downgraded the original vision of uh, the NBN from being point-to-point uh, -point or uh, yes. to node-to-node -node yes. so that uh, it's actually made it so that by the time we finish all this, not only is it going to cost more than it originally cost, yes. but we're actually going to have a second-rate solution to what was originally proposed. That's exactly right. So the original model uh, was based on two sort of rollout plans. So there was a fibre to the premise and then there yep. was satellite. Fibre to the premise for 93% of Australians and 7% of Australians living in more regional, remote areas were to be getting satellite. Yeah. So the, a new government came in um, under with the Communications Minister, Malcolm Turnbull, uh, Tony Abbott, the Prime Minister, and they basically scrapped that and they've now gone to what's called an MTM model, so multi-tech multi-mix technology, multi-technology mix model. Which was supposed to be cheaper. It was supposed to be cheaper. But I mean, the whole thing was cheaper... Um, cheaper, faster to roll out, um, and just just as effective. But in fact, what's happened now is that it's now the costs have blown out incredibly. So it's now at fifty six billion dollars. It is by far our most expensive infrastructure project in Australian history, and the most frustrating thing about it is that it's not going to meet our ongoing needs. Yeah. So 
um, already you're seeing people who you know who ha um, have been given the NBN are already saying it's no faster than my ADSL. Mm. So already we're seeing people who are very underserved by a very substandard technology mix. And there's even talk about, you know, if, if this is rolled out in its completion, then we'll already be behind the eight ball. Mm. Um, already we, we can't compete in a global market. Well, you know, um, I, do a, I do a lot of travel yes. uh, with my business. Yes. And, uh, you know, countries like uh, South Korea, yep. they have uh, fibre to the premise exactly and it flies you Absolutely. know i come i come back to australia i feel like i've stepped into a third world country because my adsl where i live is uh during peak times is slow yes but uh nbn's been rolled out all around us yes but telstra and nbn are arguing over who's actually going to act, provide the cable into the premise yep. you, so you, yeah i live 14 kilometers from the gpo yep. but uh Two, two large organisations can't make a decision about who should be responsible. And this is a massive issue for our industry on so many levels. Uh, first of all, from a publisher point of view, um, ad blocking. Mm. So apparently 20 to 30% of any download is based on advertising. So of course, if your internet is sluggish or mm. not reliable, then one of the first things you'll do is find out how to lighten that load and ad blocking will become a very obvious solution to that. Um, for some reason, that's not being spoken about very regularly by publishers in Australia. Yeah. Um, the other well, they're all kissing the government's ass, aren't they? Yes, there is definitely I could a lot say of that. that, but you wouldn't comment. No, I would, you're a nice, I would be far too dip nice diplomatic to say that. Yeah. Um, from a marketer's point of view, I need to reach my audiences. Um, my you know, all you have to do, it doesn't take long to scratch below, again, to look very far to realise, certainly in regional areas and even in, you know, our CBD areas in our suburbs, that people are really struggling with their internet connection. Meaning well, as a marketer, I'm struggling getting my message and my product and my services mm. through digital communications, e which is the e-commerce, e which is, you know, the prime way of communicating. Mm. I'm struggling to get my message, uh, my message now to my audiences. From a, from a media agency's point of view, I can't get my ads to my audiences. Mm. There's all sorts of, and I also can't take, can't reach my potential in terms of, you know, we spoke about, you know, Pokemon Go. Um, so all of a sudden that's put virtual reality, augmented reality on the map. Based on the current rollout of the NBN, Australia will never reach its potential with that technology. Mm. It's as simple as that. But no one is recognising that. It does my head in. <laughs> you realise we're having this conversation less than 100 metres from the head office of the NBN. We should drop by. I'm sure well, they'd, they'd love me. <laughs> I, I can only get uh, ADSL here. Oh, yes. I mean, I could actually, you know, I, I keep considering, should I just get 100 metres of fibre optic uh, cable and run it across the road and say, can you please supply it here? But apparently they don't have it either. Well, as we as we well know by some things that have happened this year just prior to the election, people at... People working within NBN Co are certainly not pleased with the with the current circumstance either. Uh, we see that through multiple links that it, leaks that are coming out of NBN Co from people who really are disgruntled with what's going on and know that the current plan is incorrect. Now, it's an, unfortunately the NBN. It's an infrastructure project, but it's been a, a infrastructure project that's been incredibly politicised for all sorts of reasons. And there's all kinds of political reasons rather than 
Australian community need reasons that we're in the current state that we're in? Oh, um, Denise, we have to run a, spend millions and millions of dollars running a plebiscite on uh, marriage equality before we can fix the uh, infrastructure, internet infrastructure of this country. Don't get me started, Darren. As I said, please um, recommend everyone go on the Ozpol Twitter hashtag, the largest political hashtag in the world, the third largest community uh, hashtag community in the world. Yeah. And the reason that it's so large is Australians are frustrated that we're not getting our views heard. So your website is mediascope.com.au? Mediascope.com.au. Yep. Please and come and subscribe to my weekly newsletter every Friday morning, 9.30. Uh, goes to 2,500 at the moment. And there's links there to the open letter on LinkedIn. Absolutely. Around the NBN Co. Um, and also there's the Mediascapes, which people can... The Mediascapes are certainly all listed there. Um, yep. And yes, I love, you know, the community now uh, very openly gets involved with me to help me keep, the, keep them updated and to help keep them a fair reflection of their markets, which is great. And if there's uh, women in the industry that uh, want to put their hand up to say that they're open or free to speak, please join Peggy's List. Peggy's List is certainly on, on the website as well. Uh, you can add your own details into Peggy's List uh, and please, the more the, you know, the more that we, women that we get in there, I think the more sort of impact we'll have on the market. And the men that want to support that initiative can join Don's List. Don's List as well is certainly there. So all through, the, all through mediascope.com.au. So, um, Denise, I hope you can see why I was really looking forward to having this chat because there is so much going on there. And uh, I want to thank you for making the time for sitting down and having a chat. That is a pleasure. Thank you, everyone. You've uh, reminded me that I should update the Trinity P3 media scale. There you go. <laughs> we'll talk.